Welcome to a special episode on the Evolution Exchange, where me, your host, Harry Foku, flew all the way to Barcelona to record an on-site live podcast with Aida Figuerola at King. She's the happiness manager at King, European's top gaming voice and host of the gaming backstage, where she does all the events with industry leaders on LinkedIn. We got into leading happy teams and answered questions live from the chat. Please enjoy this special episode with none other than Aida Figuerola. So I'm Aida, Aida Figuerola, and I work at King. And well, today we are in our amazing office. We wish we could show you the amazing views we have here, but well, maybe you can show some pictures. Yes, you'll see later. So yeah, I work in the new games team uh, at King and yeah, super excited to be here. Finally, we meet in person, right? Yes, (laughs) now I've been very excited. So today's topic is leading happy teams. So I thought the best question to start is what is happiness? Probably that's like a million dollar question, right? Like what is happiness to me? And according to several studies, uh, happiness is balance. So what is the easy way to track balance is by using one tool that I recommend everyone using is called the wheel of life. And this wheel has nine pillars. So it talks about uh, your family, your romance, your finance, your career, your health, uh, how much you have fun and the impact you'll have on society, social impact. Yeah, I'm missing the last one. Anyway, it's all in my LinkedIn. So if you want to check, please do so. But basically, having a, a balanced life is have, making sure that all these pillars in your life are in, in a good position, right? How do we translate this in the gaming industry? How do we translate this into our teams? We want to make sure that all their pillars in their life are balanced. So basically, we want to provide a good work-life balance, well-being at work, also well-being in their personal lives, so that you know they can be super creative and innovative when they work. Balance. All right. Didn't expect that out, actually. So... Balance. So let's say I have a gaming studio. I feel like happiness can be a bit ethereal or like a concept, hard to measure. So before we get to measuring happiness, I just want to ask the very simple question, like, why should I care? Let's say I lead a team. If I care purely about efficiency, would that not give me better income uh, outcomes than if I was only caring about um, happiness? Like, why should I care about the happiness of my team? That's a very good question, right? <laughs> very like typical business question. So uh, we make games, right? We make fun. It's super important that we focus on their happiness, their well-being, and their like, uh, playful experience at work, so that they they can create like, fun products as well. So basically, if we promote like happy environments, they are more productive and they can be more innovative as well. So overall, the outcomes are always better. We all experienced this like during COVID times, right? When we were all fully uh, working from home, it was a bit tough sometimes because we felt like personal connection and just the sense of belonging to some teams and companies or projects. And I think now it's super important uh, to just make sure everyone is aligned with the values of the company and with the team as well. So for me, it's super important that uh, the, the team has time to to spend time together, right? Like experiences are so different and we all need to, you know, meet in person and share just what we've been through and also just look and think about the future and just prepare lots of cool projects for the future. It's like, a, it feels like there's a direct correlation, right? 100%, yes. Alrighty, so I, we have the example of a pizza party thrown around very often <laughs> when it comes to happiness. So a question I have is like, what is some, bad advice that you've seen when it comes to kind of promote happy teams. I guess we have pizza party as one kind of infamous one. Uh, is there anything else that you've seen that you think probably not the best idea if that's what you're trying to like increase happiness? 
Yeah. Just one note, in Spain, we don't do pizza parties. We do paella parties and everyone loves. <laughs> yes. And in Catalonia, we do calzots. It's like an onion fest. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you have to come again. I'll show you. It's, it's a lot of fun. So bad recommendations. I think not listening to your team is like number one bad recommendation. I think it's super important to always listen to your team and their preferences. So another bad recommendation is alcohol. For me, like it's definitely a no. And sometimes like loud parties, right? We're used to like super like loud parties with incredible music and like lots of, you know, different insights. It might be too much for some people. Some people define fun as just a moment to be with your friends and play, uh, play some games or some board games and just be relaxed. So we have to think about this and also on different neurodiverse colleagues as well, that they might have different ways of understanding fun. So for me, it always starts with listening to the team and then understanding, okay, what are their preferences and then organizing events or gatherings that they like. And as I said, sometimes just having a super loud party might not be the best for them. So when you're setting up these events, like you mentioned two things there. So you add alcohol is something you could kind of avoid. I've been part of companies where that's pretty much been the go-to alcohol <laughs> party. We're going to go out with drinks. That's kind of like the only real way you could connect with your colleagues after work is, is always alcohol involved. Obviously optional, but kind of inferred, kind of like, are you one of us if you're not having alcohol? Um, not to an extreme event, but it's a little bit. So instead of like that specific example, I'm just thinking, what could you do? So let's say there's a team where they have that weekly drinks habit. How could you replace that without going to the pub and... I'm just, I'm just trying to think like from a gaming studio perspective, like your team, what could you do? Yeah, for sure. I mean, we don't have cocktails with alcohol. We have mocktails okay. and we have like theme parties as well. So we always try to choose one team or the Halloween party, but not only make it Halloween, but like maybe something extra or like winter parties. We always have theme parties. The last one was Elf Fest. Nice. That's super cool. Uh, previous ones we did about the, uh, the future, another one about games so we all had to dress up like our favorite games so i was pac-man for instance <laughs> some people were like pikachu and like some were uh well different ones so it was really cool so you, there's always ways to replace alcohol right as a drink of course we can provide lots of different options of have alcohol but then i would always provide food i think food brings everyone together special especially food from different nationalities and different mm. cultures I love trying new things, so I think that's always a must. Do you do that in the office typically, or do you go outside the office to like a venue? Does it matter? Mm -hmm. uh, luckily, we have a beautiful office that later on <laughs> we will share. Ridiculous office, guys. <laughs> like, stupidly nice office. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, when we had the opportunity to come back to the office, I was like, finally, yes, yes, I really love it. So yeah, we usually try to do events here in the office just because we have lots of games here. We have books. We have, well all different types of games and people love it so yes but also sometimes we go outside i mean it's very nice because we're literally 30 minutes walk to the beach so it's always nice you do beach events oh uh, yes of course yeah we go play volleyball sometimes we go rollerblading yes okay question there so i can imagine not everyone goes to these events mm -hmm. so how does that work from again i'm putting my optimized happiness hat on so how do I how do I account for the fact that some people won't go to these events? Do you track that? Do you try to encourage it? Do you have a situation where if someone never goes to an event, you put them aside as like, hey, bro, 
maybe come to these events. These are really good for you. Like, um, how do you deal is not the right word, but like, how do you take that into account? Yeah, that's a great point, actually, because it links to a previous question, right? like what is fun? We all see fun in different ways. So we are very flexible with this. Of course, we always offer the option of we're doing this event at the office. Do you want to come? We also do events for uh, kids. I mean, our employees, kids. Oh, right? Yes. Or we open up for, uh, you know, students that want to learn about internships or want to learn about how uh, games are done. It's all optional. So yes, if you want to come, that's wonderful. Another, uh, another thing that I do is I always try to catch up with everyone in my team to make sure everyone is all right. So it's totally fine if you don't want to join an event, 100%. But if at some point I don't feel like you want to be actively part of the team, then something must be happening, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm just always there to listen. Like any struggles that this person might have, I always offer my, my support. How do you do that? Um, is that for a one-to-one? -one? Is that ad hoc? Do you... Because you have a very nice position, right? So <laughs> I'm super lucky, yes. <laughs> I feel like there's attributes to your position which can be taken and people can take it into their studios. I don't want people to come away with you like, ah, Kin can do this because they have the resource in Ada, for example. I feel mm -hmm. like the activities that you're doing can be internalized. So when you say one-to-one, -one, so I just got a quick side question here because I feel like they're very important. Mm -hmm. Like when you were mentioning the example of someone maybe not coming to the events then you are proactively having a one-to-one -to, -one to talk about that i feel like one-to-ones are happening so i wonder if i'm a producer or i'm typically the one having that one-to-one -one, i feel like it's an interesting challenge there so the question is coming by like the producer having that one-to-one -one, it's usually from my understanding about work but how do you kind of build that relationship where you're, you're able to talk about kind of the personal side of things potentially because i feel like you can do that because you're so good at it. But like, I wonder if there's any tips, any specific things that you can consider like to bring that out of the person like, so we can have that connection. Good. I mean, it's a wonderful question, I have to say. So for me, one of the blessings of working in the gaming industry is that, is that it's a talent-based industry, right? I mean, as you know, and it's also passion-driven. So for me, it's all about people. So I put my people in the center of everything I do. So my job is basically making sure that they are well, but not only at work, but also in their personal lives, right? How is this possible? Well, it's tricky, of course. It's all about building relationships and always being there for them when they need you, right? You always need to be aware that we all have some limits and the company has some tools to offer whenever it's um, needed. But And also managers are there. I mean, our managers uh, are, are super well-trained and they are always available and they are like kind of the first year. So if anyone has a problem, you can definitely reach out to them. But I do think everyone should have someone like me in their companies, meaning like a, a role that is purely focused on employees' happiness. Because it's super important, right? Like we spend so many hours at work and overall in our lives, like the other day I was reading a report that says like a human... On average, like lives 90 years. So of these 90 years, we spend 50 years working, which is a lot. And then uh, the, the report also mentioned that around 85% of people working are not happy with their jobs, mm. which is really sad, right? Because it means that you're not happy with your life overall. Mm. So that's that's heartbreaking. I have to say it's, it's really heartbreaking. 
So I do hope that uh, companies, like not only in the gaming industry, but in other industries, realize that people are in the center of their business, right? So it's super important that we look after our people so that they can look after our products or services, and then they can provide like uh, better services and products for our society as well. I don't know what you think about this. Like, is the first time you meet someone that has this specific role or have you so, met other people? I feel like this role has different names. So mm -hmm. my favorite version is happiness manager. Yeah. Really <laughs> on the nose, we understand, but I feel like there are some like head of HRs, even talent directors have that as part of their responsibilities, a big part of their jobs, culture managers. Sometimes I'm not sure. I'm guessing here, but so I feel like agile coach could maybe fit that in potentially where mm -hmm. You can kind of take that personal element. I had a question, um, I had two questions based on what you said. So you mentioned always available. I wonder what that looks like. Is that yeah, that's a great question, actually. Because let me link that to another point. It's not, as I said, it's a passion-driven industry. And sometimes my colleagues are so passionate about what they do that they might end up, you know, reaching that burnout point. And it happened to me as well in the past, right? Like I love my job, so I can organize, like if I go to one event every day, but then you ended up like reaching a point where it's not sustainable. I feel like right? in games where you could, you could always keep working. Yeah. It's not like where, oh, I'm done. It's literally, if you want to, you could keep going. You could always optimize it. Exactly. So I think it's super important, as you mentioned, right? Like to find balance again, like when you work, especially in projects where you really love, like, you know, adding all your creativity there and working with your colleagues, you really need to define your boundaries. So um, about your first question, uh, what does it mean like to be always available, right? So we have different channels. So of course we use like, some uh, messaging platforms or video conference systems. And also we have our managers, our agile coaches. Uh, we have a special culture club that organizes lots of activities and this is organized and led by my colleagues directly. So it's not top, top down, so it's run by them. And also my role, which I mainly focus on you know, being available to whoever needs something. I have regular catch-ups with some people that have requested it or a lock whenever it's needed. So they could call the person, they could also go on the video conferencing system, um, could use in like Slack or Teams, whatever you're mm -hmm. using. And you mentioned Culture Club there, I just want to clarify. So is that enabling people who have kind of other responsibilities to like manage culture, like manage their own events? Is that more understood? Like, what did you mean by culture club? <laughs> yeah, that's a great idea. It's like an employee network, right? We have several at King, actually. It's, uh, well, I really, really love our networks. So we have Royal Unicorns that organize initiatives around LGBT. Like Harry Potter? <laughs> <laughs> no, but there's a lot of Harry Potter fans yeah. here, I have to say. Yes. Uh, we also have Women at King, Kaleidoscope, that focuses on different cultures. Hmm. And the culture club, per se, it's also in my team. They focuses in all the initiatives that add value to our culture. But like, for instance, uh, we organize hackathons. Right? You know what's a hackathon? Yeah. Can you explain to our audience? So That's right. <laughs> so, so, um, yeah, a hackathon is where typically in the gaming studio, it's a great way to get some innov innovation out there, some passion. So typically it could be a day, two days, seven days, where everyone is focused on a kind of making new ideas, usually without kind of instructions, so to speak, they very large guidelines and then typically a lot of nice features. We've got Ali here, who's a very big advocate of Passion Weeks and we've yes. seen it. Yes. We've seen the success at Star Stable and a lot of other companies. So um, yeah, hackathons are great. Um, that's my explanation. I don't know if I missed anything. 
No, yeah, hundred percent. Or game jams, right? It's like the same, but like uh, working on a new game, yeah. just like exactly. super, like only like three t uh, three people working in one game, like maybe in two days, and yeah. So that's one of the examples, actually, of what people define as fun. They love hackathons, yeah. right? So that's that's it. I mean, I just organize the hackathons because they love it. Also, another initiative that they love is um, we did like a walking competition across Europe. So yeah, we were using some apps and then whoever scored the highest, this person received some awards. We also do like lunch and learn sessions where we just gather together over lunch. And one of the, the people in the team like might present their culture, like where they're from. For instance, we have people from New Zealand, which I found it's like a fascinating country, never been yet. We have people from Cyprus, so they will also do, do like a presentation. So and presentation, just is that like virtually? Is that on site? Like, what do you mean by presentation? Yeah, I mean, we have both options. I mean, we have hybrid format. So yeah, we can either record it and people can be like in a meeting room and then just having lunch there and just watch whatever the person is presenting or then we do them fully in the office. I just want to appreciate that. It's really cool because I feel like in massive companies, I've heard firsthand stories where they've scaled by like 100, 200 people and then the culture is gone because every person that joined logistically, you won't get to know them at scale. Because there's just not enough time to have like a one-hour lunch with the new guy and share those experiences. But like, like the idea of kind of basically doing something like this, where you presented it, and then everyone can kind of tune in and then say, "Ah, I saw your presentation," and then so I can get closer to people that way, like actually at scale. So like, I really like that um, point, which I think it's great, and everyone should kind of take that to account. Mm -hmm. Another initiative that I recommend to everyone is uh, lunch roulette. You can either yeah. do lunch or like copy. And you can do it like on site or like virtually. And it's a lot of fun. It's just like 30 minutes random coffee with someone from your team or your company. And there's only one rule that you cannot talk about work. Yeah. Right. So that, I mean, I love. <laughs> have you done before? Like, have hey, you we tried? had that at uh, Evolution. Yeah. Uh, nice. Last year. And it's good. You're not allowed to talk to someone on your team with the rule. So that way you're forced to be outside. And yeah, you made some great, made some good friends. You can learn actually a lot. Mm -hmm. That's the thing. Because. I like work, so it, it always comes out to like, ah, what are you doing on your team? Ah, that's different. That's interesting. And you try to take that back. But yeah, largely try to keep you outside of work and it's a good fun. Mm -hmm. It's a good times. Great. So I think we've established the benefits of happiness, kind of a few strategies to achieve happiness in the team. So next question is on measuring happiness. So mm -hmm. how do we know we're doing a good job apart from checking if people are smiling and people showing up to work? But like... Uh, yeah, how do you measure and hopefully track your progress? That's a great question. Uh, data, right? It's always about data. So uh, I really like working with two different types of data, quantitative and qualitative, right? Can you explain so, those? Uh, yes, of course. So we send regular surveys that can be anonymous if people want, where I just gather everyone's feedback and especially all the constructive feedback on what can be improved. And then separately, as I said, I have regular catch-ups with members of the team, with the managers, we have forums, different channels. And again, I'm always approachable. So whenever someone like joins the company and I always try to do it, is I ask, it's like, okay, what do you see in the market that we're not doing yet? Do you have any ideas of any initiatives that you've done in other companies or something that you would like to do here? They're usually super uh, glad that I had asked this question and they tend to volunteer to organize it together with me in the office. Yes. It's great so, onboarding, right? Yeah. Like well, nice way to get immersed in culture. Yes. I mean, I always believe, like, I mean, I used to do a lot of volunteer work 
And I loved it because everyone has this drive and this common yeah. passion and goal. And it's not about just, you know, dropping an idea. It's about okay, sharing an idea and just looking for the team that can help you make this idea reality, right? So that's how I try to organize the networks as well and all the, the culture clubs that we have. It's like, okay, listen to the team. What do they want to do? And also, what can they help, you know, bring into life? Um, qualitative, that is the service. Mm -hmm. Quantitative, did we cover that? Mm -hmm. What is quantitative? Sorry, just... Yeah, yeah, quantitative number is like data, so it's one of the ser uh, services. So like yeah. an MPS score, so... Yeah, or like, yeah, any platform that you like. Survey Monkey, like, how like Google Survey, so yeah. many. But, um, yeah, and in regards to being anonymous or not, they are by default anonymous, but as... as you have the option to turn it. Yes. Uh, and I, I, in general, I'm, so, I mean, I'm 100% open to constructive feedback. But I also like that people realize that there's a person behind surveys, right? Yeah. Actually reading the comments and just uh, getting all this feedback and improving. So I also want to make sure that, you know, they're not rude or they're not impolite. So I'm there. So if they just want to have a conversation and share ideas, super happy. That's why I also encourage them. Just, hey, just come to me and talk and share your share your. And I think it's a nice point that we kind of, have I mentioned is that there's a face behind the survey. Mm -hmm. So typically it might be like, hey, Evolution King is sending out this survey, but this is like, hey, Ada, I'm sending the survey. So I feel like you get a bit more added personal touch, maybe. Maybe they'll put in a bit more effort as well because this doesn't feel like oh, yes. a checkbox exercise, especially yes. which from the sound of it, like you engage with the comments, you probably put it Always, into practice. Always, 100%, yes. <laughs> so the next time it comes around, I was like, I'm going to put effort into this, right? Um, so that, uh, fantastic. Um, one question on the numbers. Do you have any advice on like, um, I don't want to go too granular on this, but I'm just curious. So is there like a typical like question that you say, oh, great, your happiness from one to 10, is that a good question? Or is there a better way to phrase that to get those numbers? So on the survey, how do you kind of ask a question where you get data that actually is useful? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. There are different standards. One that we use, it's uh, Gallup. So it has different points and different things that could be evaluated, like engagement, efficiency, sense of belonging, uh, connection with the team, level of stress, and all of this. Like, well, you can use this template if you want, but there are different ones, and it also depends on the type of the project that you work on. But yeah, I usually like to use always the same template, right? So you yeah, can so you compare. Yeah. And as I said, like it's always important like to be open to catch up with whoever wants to share their opinion. I think person, right? Because as you're doing now, there's so many things that you can ask yeah, at the moment like, and just get a lot of information. Like some of these questions, I have 12 questions to be very clear, prepared, but there's a lot of improv <laughs> happening, which wouldn't happen in an asynchronous way. How do you show that you value people? I guess I want to add some context here. So there is some roles in the gaming studio where it's quite easy to connect what you're doing to the uh, outcome. Mm -hmm. And I feel like there's other roles where it's a bit difficult. Uh, it's a common one for me. So if an artist makes assets and the assets maybe doesn't get used or they don't know how that affects the performance because it's less number driven. So how do we make, make sure that everyone feels valued? Mm -hmm. That's a great question. So there are different ways, right? So we have like team updates, for instance, where uh, we have a thank yous section. So everyone can write like random comments and just thank everyone who has. How regularly do you do that? That's uh, monthly. Monthly, nice. Yes, yes. And of course, it gets all tracked, right? And 
after the the session I just share with everyone so you can always you know when you have a moment you can always read you're having a bad day it's like oh wait I have 13 months so thank you literally literally but people are super nice yeah so that that's yeah simple example but also how do people feel valued I think like quick example for instance is like when you're in a meeting and you are the manager and you have like 10 people in the meeting don't be the first one to share your opinion, right? Like make sure everyone speaks before you. Yeah. So that just, how do you value everyone's opinion? Like, be the last one, yeah. right? That's simple, but that's very effective. Another thing that you mentioned is recognition. Not everyone likes to be recognized in public and okay. realized because we have some introverts in the team as well. who really like, you know, it's really uncomfortable for them. So I know, and I would just send them like an email or their manager would meet with them and they will share so positive directly. feedback in person, yes. Or like with a handwritten letter or anything, but like one-to-one, you know, this person, like don't, don't want to be in the spotlight. Whereas other people, yes, you know, they want to showcase their amazing art or code or whatever they've done. So yeah, it's again, listening to your team and adapting. I feel like the things we're talking about here make sense. I feel like a lot of the people listening would be like, yep, I could see myself doing that, but the way you're explaining it to me, it sounds like you're tracking it and you're tracking it and you're documenting it. Like when you're doing the one-to-ones, that information will come out. The fact that someone might be an introvert or an extrovert and that can be kind of noted and then actually obviously come back to that when you're doing the value part. So I feel like big point here is just tracking everything and just making sure someone in charge. Basically, <laughs> it needs to be more agents. Don't know why you're laughing, tell me. I mean, no, it's funny. I mean, I have to say, and I'm not going to be humble here. I have a very good memory, so I don't track it. Like, I don't like, physically track it, but yeah, I remember a lot of things. So when you say you remember, just to clarify now, so you're not... <laughs> are you out there? How, many people, how many people um, are you responsible for here? Uh, between 100 and 200. Okay, so the limit is 200, and the average person, maybe, if you're not Ada, and you know, could do this for a while, probably less than that. So when you say... So what do you track? <laughs> so we track. I try. Like, I mentally track people's problems, and I always focus on solutions. Fair. And I think that might make sense. Like we don't want to write potentially two hundred people personal problems on a daily basis. That makes sense. But yeah, and also like I don't know. I mean, for instance, I used to be a, a teacher, right? Like uh, with little kids, and it's super important. Like teachers know that on the first day, you have to remember all kids' names and last names because if you just want to get like kids attention if you say hey kid they will ignore you so they need you know you need to say full name it's like gone and okay oh yeah Yeah. so same happens here in any company or project right it's like people want to be treated like they are celebrities or divas or they are like you know (laughs) unique and they are we all are but yeah no it's it's super important to remember like their lives and to connect with them and to really care you know if they know that you care it's it's always better and the same way around right like and it's also important i used to work in a japanese company and my boss i learned a lot from him and he said that it's really important to read the air something that i find extremely difficult he was great at it maybe it's a something in the asian (laughs) culture (laughs) but it's like you know i mean when you're in a meeting room and you start checking how everyone's feeling like the vibe you know who might be struggling someone who tends to be super extrovert if for a week this person is not very active and it's like very shy, something might be happening. 
the, the proactiveness there is important. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you have to be emotionally intelligent as well. Not everyone is, but there are also ways to learn how to be more intelligent. I don't know. Have you ever done a test on I, EQ? I've IQ. No, not I. I don't want to either. Well, EQ or IQ, oh, right? Like, oh yeah, <laughs> they're both. Goes like... to show that yeah, I haven't. Um, you should you should? I, if you send me one, and I'll post the results. And the no, I think the we had yeah training videos on emotional intelligence and um, uh, good book recommendations. That's mm -hmm. what we've had. I feel like you can always go deeper, yeah. uh, especially. I don't lead a team, so especially if I was leading the team, mm -hmm. I'd want to make sure I got all of that locked down. Right. Alrighty. Speaking of teams, so in terms of team happiness, individual happiness, it's like I don't want to put them against each other, but I feel like there are some activities which will make the team happy or some decisions, but they will potentially be at cost of an individual. But net happiness will go up. Mm -hmm. We get to this weird challenge now where, like, is it, how do we come to that? How do we solve that issue? I'm just thinking I'm loud now, but I'm just, it's very difficult. So the question is, when there is a team member specifically, which has a challenge potentially, but the solution would affect everyone else's happiness. Mm -hmm. Try to think of an example. Mm -hmm. Let's think of an example. So there is potentially a game designer which has an idea, but mm -hmm. passionate about it. But would add either potentially a lot more work. He would get a lot more happiness because they are kind of pushing the idea forward. But it might not be good for the team. So when it comes to those situations, how do we handle those? Because if we're trying to optimize for happiness, in theory, kind of shoot you yes, but it would affect the team. So I guess in those situations, what do we do? Mm -hmm. That's a great question, actually, because uh, it also happens in the industry, right? We have amazing like solo contributors or individual contributors we call them and amazing teams and usually like solo contributors together make a terrible team <laughs> that i've seen before so it's about thinking okay how would be the perfect team and it's usually not with a group of solo contributors right it's a group of people who know how to work in a team and uh, i really love this sentence that i'm sure you know or this famous quote that is if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together, right? So that's what we think when we want to create teams that create games that maybe it might take like one, two, or even three years to, to create a game. Super important that we establish a healthy culture from the beginning. So also like whenever we need to face like um, high stress moments because they, you know there are certain deadlines that they need to reach, there's a like there's already a culture and a, a community where they feel supported, they feel heard, and uh, we do value open communication. So there's a book and just an approach that I really recommend that is Radical Candor. Mm. It's like when you know there's a problem in the room, talk about it, be honest, and just share your opinion, but also respect other people's opinion. But like if there's like a let's say a problem from zero to ten, a problem when you see that it's in in one, raise it, right? Like when there's like an issue, raise it before it becomes a problem, right? So I always try to be proactive rather than reactive when I see that something is happening. When I see that two people might not get along, okay, let's let's talk, right? Why What is happening here? Why, why do you think this way? Why do you think this other way? And I think it's very important also to agree on disagreeing. Mm. Right. It's fun. We it's great, right? I think what it's it's what makes teams better and projects better that we all have different opinions 
And then we all have different perspectives, but it's about, okay, how do we put all of this together? Right. It's, it's a challenge, but it's fun. Yeah. Um, quick question. So you mentioned the kind of, when you see conflict, you go for it. I guess you go try to fix it. How quickly is that like the next day? And is it, they had an argument and you put it on the side, like we need to talk about this tomorrow or do you let it sit for a bit? Like how quick is it too quick or what is it too late? That's a great question. Um, I mean, it's, I think luckily, I mean, in this great company that I, that I work for, maybe because it's Swedish, I don't know, mm. but they are super open yeah. and, uh, like, and everyone is very honest and open and collaborative, right? So whenever they have an issue, they will come to you and they will say to you straight, okay, this is what I experienced and this is how I would do it differently. And they, the important part is that they offer constructive feedback, right? They come to you. If they want to, yes. Otherwise to their managers or to, you know, if they have a problem with a colleague, they might go directly to their colleague and it's absolutely fine. We have like very clear, I don't want to say guidelines because we don't have this in paper, but it's just like values that we are super respectful with everyone. So I might yeah, say. I hear it. And it's true because I hear it all the time. Yeah. Okay. I'm glad. I'm glad. But yes, yes. I mean, and of course, if someone is just being disrespectful and rude, we also do have guidelines on how to manage the situations. Luckily, they don't have it. But yeah. You lead by example there. And I think you <laughs> might, I think you might give too much benefit to the Swedish culture. I feel like when you're, because you've responded to positively when it happens before. So you said that good example. So I'm guessing it keeps happening. And then, um, We've like hit critical mass now where when someone new comes, it's kind of like they'll hopefully be king of in terms of culture, right? Uh, all those positive attributes. So definitely not all Sweden. I will just not allow you to have that. Uh, <laughs> Alrighty. Let's move on to a topic of remote work. So remote work, we had a podcast on this um, a year ago, actually, and you gave some awesome tools. That was a year ago. wonder if things changed and we essentially go through that list again, but you mentioned a few strategies and tools to kind of avoid isolation when it comes to remote teams. So any tools and strategies that you recommend? Mm -hmm. So we have a hybrid model and uh, I do think it's the best. I mean, I've worked in fully remote companies and just 100% office-based uh, companies. I think hybrid is the best when it's uh, optional and flexible. We all have different personal situations. So having the option of meeting with your colleagues like face-to-face for me, it's a blessing because I don't know. I'm just, I don't like working from home fully. I don't know if, well, you actually work from home 100%, right? Yeah, but I pay to come and do these things because I'm rather <laughs> not. So, yes, I'm fully remote now, but I will 100% be traveling, being Ada as much as possible. So, I'm with so I, I need face to face. Right. Same here. Feeling the same way. So, <clears throat> I think having world options, it's, it's really amazing. What do we do? As I said, I organize, <clears throat> sorry, lots of office events or just gatherings optional with different topics. Some can be more active. Some can be about just sharing knowledge or just, you know, playing games. We have play sessions uh, here in the office or we do them virtually and it's all optional. And we also do like, I don't know, um, if I have a hobby that I want to share with my team, like I, if I play the piano and I want to share with my team the basics, then I could organize a session and just everyone learns, right? Or like a cooking class. Or, We've done this before. We did an amazing tiramisu. Do you put that into the calendar and invite everyone? Is that yes. a mess? That how it goes, and then they just can say yes, no, no, thank you. Exactly. Cool. Nice. So yeah, these are very like simple initiatives, and again, it's all about asking the team. Okay, 
what do you want to see happening, right? Like what hobbies do you have or what talents do you have? Or I remember another one with its, uh, we actually did a trivia on Lord of the Rings and another one on Harry Potter because everyone mm-hmm. loves love. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. And this isn't impossible. Like this is like, this doesn't happen that often I speak to people who work remotely and sometimes maybe there's a meeting every other day. So there's like three days of the week where they are full on eight hours of no meetings unless they really trial and call. And I feel like this is a very, you're inviting people to organize those events. And I feel like we're stressed that this isn't a practice only for the kings of the world. Like I feel like a lot of teams from 10 to 30 to 50 small teams can do this and because at least you get the ball rolling, this momentum, and I agree. Remote work can, even if it's an on-site, can, like a lot of these trivia things can be done virtually, mm-hmm. as long as they're virtual. Sorry, as long as they're optional, it won't impact kind of the density. Just to be clear, are those done inside, outside work hours, both? Inside. Always. Yes. Yes, and we are always uh, very mindful in time zones as well. Okay. Because we have people working in Europe and some in US. So yeah, we always have to. Okay, so what's stopping you having three days of quizzes week? <laughs> People get tired a bit. Ah, so That's the thing. You also have to... Yeah, because they love creating games, right? I mean, they want to spend most of the time creating games, <laughs> also playing games. But yeah, I need to balance. But uh, now I'm just thinking of a couple of initiatives that uh, are free and are... Uh, free really... is always good. Yes, right? <laughs> That we did last year, one is to guess who is this kid, right? Like uh, showing ah, employees, we, I did like that. babies. You did that at Christmas. Oh, my God. It's a it's yes. Yes. So funny. And the other one was the collector's challenge. So we showed pictures of uh, people that collected things and we had to guess, okay, who's the collector? Right. Yes. Another one we wanted to do, we've not done it yet, is uh, <laughs> sharing pictures of your um, fridges. Uh, yes. Uh, or your desks. Interesting idea, this one. Yeah, right. He was like, mm, mine is empty. I just got this thing. You know what? I was, <laughs> mine I was, is empty. I was just thinking, fridge. It was like, so like, you're going to kind of roast people's model choices, but like, no, you can put uh, stamps and uh, magnets on the fridges so you get the personal side. Yeah, uh, that's probably why it's yeah. interesting. Because I, when you first said it, I was like, what? It's <laughs> microwave. <laughs> no, that is cool. Awesome. Um, this is a difficult question. So, when Christmas comes around, especially in the live service model, or there's a deadline coming up if you're AAA, these are high stress environments, mm-hmm. kind of inevitable sometimes. But like every studio wants to avoid crunch, but you will have a high stress situation, essentially a week, two weeks, a season of stress. I feel like that's a given. Um, how do we maintain creativity during that time? I feel like it's a lot of these events sometimes get pushed to the wayside. Or these uh, initiatives. So, mm-hmm. how do we maintain it? Also, obviously, kind of respecting the fact that we do need to kind of hustle potentially um, at the moment. Yeah, that's a great idea. Actually, that's the producer's job. Like hey. raising Ali here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so it's all about planning. Of course, we know that some months might be more stressful than others because potentially the team might be on holidays or mm. any other reason. So yeah, it's all about planning. Even though, like. Uh, emergencies might appear as well right so for me it's all about the foundation so we want to make sure we have a culture that it's uh, collaborative and open and again whenever we see a potential problem 
it's shared with the producer or with the agile coach, with the manager or with me, and we tackle it immediately. I strongly always recommend to have like a strict routine or, okay, this is the time I'm starting, this is the time I'm finishing, especially if you work from home, right? Like to have clear breaks. Do you recommend that to people who Yes, always. Why is it so important? Because I think we all need to like do proper breaks to recharge, especially people who are creative. I'm not 100% creative. My role is like, or or my brain is like 50-50. But uh, people who are like almost like 80% creative, they do need breaks, you know, because when they start creating like new characters, new environments, new games, they get so hyped and so passionate about it that it's like, oh, now I have to go and have dinner and I need to, no, it's really hard for them. So I think routines work very well. And um, also like practicing some sports, 100%, going for a walk before a meeting and actually, you know, recharges your brain and yeah, making little breaks. And literally like if you are, I always say this, if you are like 60% close to burnout, stop, you know, don't wait until you're 90%. I don't know if you ever experienced burnout, how did you manage? So yeah, me, burnout. Because you're like, recruitment can be super intense. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean... I've recently gone since October to done full on the podcast side of things. And yeah, a part of that was because candidate recruitment side can get quite intense, especially you're dealing with people mm-hmm. and <laughs> people can be funny. Uh, you know, they don't necessarily do what you want them to do every day. And that is life. And that is, um, I feel like when you have those stressful situations, like for me, I try to always, I especially similar to the gaming industry i guess i can always do more mm-hmm. i've recently stopped and i'm i told myself i'm going to do four podcasts a week because like i feel like i can do that and i'm trying to be disciplined there because i know what comes after it but in the moment I'm like oh this person can do it. i was like let's go let's go let's go and let's do it and um i've done it before it's great for that month and the next month i'm like oh so yeah, my lesson is um, i guess when burnout does happen try to take that week and try to really make sure you know, I tidy up my processes. I just wake up at a normal time, physical activity. I've had a situation where I stopped exercising for two weeks just so I can do more work. Very bad decision. Don't do it again. It's just not worth it. But like, um, for me, gym or just, it's like if you have a car and you're trying to go somewhere and you're running under petrol, like, you're not going to just, that's a bad analogy, you know? <laughs> a hard analogy work, but basically you need to you, stop before you yeah. run out of petrol, right? <laughs> yeah. If I'm going to And recharge. Yeah, exactly. If I'm going to the hospital with my car and I'm running out of petrol, I need to go to the petrol station. Otherwise I'm not gonna make it. even if I work push the car, I don't care. It's just not a smart way to do it. So I need to stop, spend more time getting the petrol to actually make it somehow that analogy may have worked. But yeah, basically exercise, super important, even if I start to hypothesis, oh, I'm wasting two hours of potential work and so to answer your question, just have that baseline. I think stopping and starting is very important and just making sure I plan the family time and the physical activity time before the work time. That's just really a recent uh, thing that really helps because then there's never a situation where, oh, for the next two weeks, I like not seeing my cousins and my family. So if you plan the family times at the start of the month, like trips and stuff, away, I will never have that situation where I'll burn out, I guess. Mm-hmm. And just uh, one example, I used to work with uh, with a CEO of one company, and he was like the most hyper-performing person I ever met. And in his agenda, he always booked at least one hour every day to think, 
he literally was called time to think and yeah he literally like disconnected from everything and plugged from all electronical devices and he went to a room like dark room and he was just like literally like kind of meditating somehow but also thinking it's like wow i feel like it could a lot of things can go through the cracks and like that could be a thing to like reset and ground you right you're on like some producers and some mm-hmm. developers out there and like on six hours of meetings a day with potentially two hours after that like you just turned on all day and then you have no you start to try decompress that while watching netflix at night and it's not the best way to do it like you need that time during the day where you have actually energy to process everything that's happening right yeah that's the thing. Alrighty. so we've got around 10 minutes left before we go to q a so my next question is on management styles so when it comes to management styles this can be from a management perspective like from managers and also with the way you approach like one-to-one so i feel like people have different personalities how do we tailor management styles should we tailor management styles to like different guess, personality profiles different types of people absolutely yes <laughs> yes it's true that when you have a very large team it's difficult that's why you have to rely on your managers right i mean if you cannot directly impact 200 people potentially or 300 then you have to make sure that your managers are well trained so that they can help you right they can be an extension of you um management styles for me a great manager is a great listener someone who's supportive someone who is like a visionary leader and like uh, yeah someone that will guide you and always do the best for the team also thinking about you right for me it's not about telling people what they have to do it's about okay explaining the context and empowering the team. And I think it's just the only way that a team can be scalable, right? Like, otherwise it's just, yeah, it's just, <laughs> it's not sustainable. And it's super important for me that they are aware about emo- emotional intelligence, different cultural uh, maps. It's this book that I love, it's the culture map. Yes, so it's super important to understand, especially when we have multicultural teams, where they come from, what they're used to, and also define how we want to work in our team. Right. So it's uh, another tip that I have for everyone here is uh, use this culture map template. You will see differences in ways of leading, managing um, the time, also providing feedback or receiving feedback. And then the type of relationships that you establish. If you are more based on the relationships that might have, or if you are more based on the ta- tasks or the results of your work. So different cultures have different ways of operating and I've seen it and I'm Spanish, so I'm usually late. <laughs> it happens all the time. I really try to fix it, but it's really hard. So my old Japanese boss got really frustrated me because he's in the opposite side of the line. On the other side, I'm very flexible. You know, if something doesn't go as planned, I can adapt super quickly and for me it's totally fine. For him it was very frustrating. So it just when you work in a team with people from around the world, I think it's important to define, okay, how do we want to work here? Right? Do we want to arrive 10 minutes before to each meeting or is it fine if people arrive five minutes late? Like, oh, interesting. So you like to make that decision. Yes. Yes. And I don't know if you ever thought about this, but like, uh, do you think you're like on the, in terms of time management, right? Like how punctual are you? Um, um, you are. What? <laughs> to do it. To do it. Ah, recent advice from uh, Ali Farka, uh, time management. Um, in terms of meetings, I always try to be on time, but I'm not good at time management on my personal task. But Ali Park has given me a very good suggestion with an app called Todoist, where when I have an idea, 
and add it there. And I can actually, it then goes into a file where I can come back to it and then block out some time. But typically I was just using memory. I'm like, oh, I know I need to reach out to some people today. I'll block in some time. Then I get distracted very easily and I start doing something else. I'm like, okay, I'll probably fit that in tomorrow. That time management, I'm getting better using these tools. But yeah, when it comes to meetings, I try not to be on time. Mm -hmm. That's good. That's good. Well done. Okay, I also try, but I, I don't know. I keep failing. <laughs> it's in your DNA. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. No, but yeah, there there are many ways. But uh, yeah, just for me, a great manager is someone that, first of all, and above all, is a great listener and also like, thinks more about the solution rather than, than the problem. Yeah. Exactly. Alrighty. So, one question, man. It is advice to new leaders. So, if you're going to be an aspiring leader, or a new leader. You mentioned training. I wonder if you, if I'm a leader listening, is there anything I can do personally without my company paying for training? Like, should I keep in mind to, if I want to, well, if I manage to be happy, what can I do from a personal perspective? Mm -hmm. Emotional intelligence, 100%. So when you say that, what do you mean? Yes, <laughs> great question. So if you like data, you can do a test and you can actually get a result. And okay. then you will realize, okay, I think this is my coefficient. Trust it or not, I always recommend to read uh, some books that can help you first understanding yourself. It's always about understanding yourself, how you are, what's your personality type, how do you like to communicate with other people, how do you like to receive feedback, how do you work with other teams. Also, what motivates you? Right? Are you the type of person that loves coming up with ideas and like creating projects from scratch? Or you like to execute those, pro those projects? Or you like to close those projects? And just understand all these features or like your characteristics somehow, your strengths, your weaknesses, and then acknowledge them and work on the things that you have to improve, right? It's a lot of work. Only doing this, it's a lot of work. Not a lot of people do it. And then do the same for your team members. Try to understand how they are. And then try to look for like balance or try to look for connections. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of work. It's very complex, but it always starts with you. So I think like when I got my first job, I remember I, I really like... Immersed yourself. Yeah, completely to the way the company was organized and to the manager that I had that it wasn't a good manager, right? So I learned things that later on I realized they were not right. So I think it's more about, okay, how are you? What are your strengths? Where are your weaknesses? And then for me, it's more around putting the time and energy on what you're good at. And then, of course, if there's something that needs to work on. You definitely should put time there as well. But then... Yeah, focus there and look for a job that is tailored to your strengths. Hmm. So when I started, um, happiness manager or engagement manager didn't exist as a job in the industry, right? So I was like, I, I don't know what I want to do. But I, I didn't know that I really like helping people in general. So I tried to define my role and then my role, what I wanted to do when I grew up. <laughs> and then I started, you know, finding jobs that one after the other took me to where I am today. So if I was 20 again, which I'm clearly not, what would I do? I think it's about thinking on your passion. What's your why in life? Right? Like, what do you love doing? And then try to do things around it. And eventually you'll create your perfect job. It can be in a company that already has this role or you can create your own company. And to be honest, who knows how the job market will be in 10 years? especially now with AI, we have no clue. I don't know if you're yeah. a fortune teller and you know what's going to happen in the 10 years. I know what will happen. A lot of change. 
A lot will change. I, that that is a guarantee. That I can guarantee hundred percent. Can I ask you the same question? Actually, like, what would you tell me, like your younger self? Advice to my former self is actually. So I've recently started doing this, where you look at your life, I guess, in three-year chunks. Mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of people try to maximize earning before learning. When you look at your life in three, five, ten-year chunks, taking that role where you would be the top person in that company, this could be for any industry, really. You're basically peaking too early. So if you're in your early 20s, so let's say you're an artist, you're learning, you're in a startup environment, you're learning from people who are better than you, and then you get a job offer for twice the money, but you're going to be heading an art department and it's going to be a new kind of, um, maybe even in a type of work where it's not really your passion, but you're like, ah, the money's so big. Those people, I speak to them after a year and they're like, yeah, the money was good, but now I'm basically starting from scratch again because I didn't learn anything in that year. I was the biggest person. So my biggest advice to like old Harry is basically start that process a lot sooner. So when you're looking at opportunities, where you're spending your time, like always maximize learning before earning because then that will compound. If you skill stack as much as possible, the opportunities are crazy. But you can start that when you're 30 or when you're 20. So I'd advise to do that when you're 20. You, you want to start that as soon as possible. 100% agree. Yes. Yeah. yes. Amazing. So I think we've come in naturally to a close here. So we'll open up for Q&A. Yeah, sure. Uh, we have Surab. We say hi to Surab. He's always active. Oh, all. Hey, Surab. Hi, Surab. Hey, he's asking any tips on how to get the buy-in from stakeholder had a conflict view on an important matter. I believe it goes to a colleague or whatever. So when you have a colleague or stakeholder you disagree on something, it needs to be solved. How Any tips how to tackle this? Yeah, for sure. So I strongly recommend like to contact this person as soon as the problem arises. Mm. So um, let's say like half an hour ago, we had a meeting. We had very different opinions, right? So right after the meeting, I would strongly recommend that, hey, Harry, you have a moment to talk? Sure. And then, you know, always in a constructive mindset. You wouldn't have the conversation over text, just to be clear. Yes. No, I mean, no, I mean, always like first to face hundred percent because, you know, texting can be sometimes misunderstood also depending on the culture and the tone. So always like face to face, but another tip, if you feel like, I don't know, you're super upset or you're super angry, wait one day, you know, you don't want to have a strong conversation. Who should wait one day? Is it the the person who was feeling, yeah, angry? Yes. Yes. Because it's never good like to have a, a constructive conversation when you're feeling like distressed. Yeah. Right. Perfect. We have a question from Sarah. A really good question, actually. How do you handle a teammate who you see that is in a burnout or about to be burned out, but they disagree with you? And this actually, I've seen this actually myself. Do you have any tips to indicate that? Thank you, Sarah. That's a wonderful question. Offer support, but support is voluntary as well, right? Like I can only help you if you want to be helped. So I would just go to this person and say, hey, do you want to have a coffee? You want to have a chat? And then potentially ask, how are you doing? Is there something I can do to help you? And this person can open up and share. But if they don't want to, that's totally fine and you have to respect it as well. The other thing is that if they are reaching a point where it can affect their health, then of course you can just share. Yes. 
But again, I mean, you cannot help someone who doesn't want to be helped, right? So you always have to keep this in mind also for your own health, right? Like you don't want to... All the energy is going right. into... Right. Oh. Yeah. Some. Yeah. And some people, unfortunately, face these situations. Yeah. One thing I'd add to that is sound of it. Um, just two things on the last two questions. Um, I've had some. Uh, we came up on the podcast where if you are going to send someone a message, hey, do you have time to speak? Always add a smiley face, please, and not the basic smiley face because that's scary. Add the nice, normal, joyful smiley face. Especially in recent years, people get very strict recent times. That would be a very stressful message to receive, um, especially if it's like going to be a supportive one. And it sounds like, I just want to clarify, if someone you think is facing burnout, they don't agree. It sounds like you're opening the door for them to open up and like tell you with more regular communication. Yeah. Love it. Yes. Yeah, I agree 100% here. And again, like every now and then offer support. Once again, it's like, maybe I don't have the solution to help you, but if you want to share our situation, I'm just here to listen. And people appreciate a lot just having someone to, that listens to them. It's, it's 50% solving the problem okay. most of the time. Great. Cool. And I have one question from Amir. He asked like a lot of questions. I picked one of them. How to manage a team's stress when there's a deadline coming right up? It's similar to what you asked about Christmas and like deadlines. But let's say I have a deadline in the upcoming two weeks. The team's stress level is high. We need to deliver. Do you have any tips or how to manage that? Yes. Uh, Thank you, Amir. Yeah, it's a great question, actually. First of all, it's understanding, okay, what is causing the stress? Is it because we have a smaller team and a big project and we are under-resourced, right? Is it because we need them planned properly and we have to deliver certain features that are probably more than what we can do? Or is it because the holidays are approaching or because we have a couple of team members who went on sick leave or whatever? It's just understanding, okay, what is causing the stress? And then obviously always focusing on the solution, right? And see, okay, can we look for external people that could support? Can we ask for another team to send us someone temporarily that can support? And yeah, it's all about managing. Always. Yeah. What would you add? So it sounds like we've got step one, diagnose where the stress is coming from. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you don't know what we're solving. And once you yeah, being solution driven. Um, I would add just definitely don't have to come up with the solution yourself if you're a team of 20 i would definitely ask some people might be stressed for different reasons so i would always kind of especially if it's a high stress environment that's where you have like a isolated anonymous survey kind of situation so i think you get a lot of good ideas that way mm -hmm. yeah. well if we move to the last question there's a lot of good resources in the comments books and uh, just they get inspired so please go check them out after everyone is listening uh, a question also from Amir, and actually I liked it because about feedback. Uh, you touched a little bit upon it, but uh, let's dive a bit more. If you want to give or receive feedback, how to give feedback? And what's the items needed to keep in mind when sharing a feedback? Mm -hmm. It really depends on who you're going to share the feedback with. But for me, and that's my personal opinion, it depends on the, the culture of this person. Because, again, read the culture map. It's a super good book. And there's another one. That is called uh, when cultures collide. This one is huge. It's like this, okay. but it's awesome because it has all the cultures explained, like all the cultures in the world, right? And it's super detailed. So read that one. It might take a while. More like uh, you could use it as a guidebook as well. Right? You don't have yes. to read about yes. a culture exactly straight away if you're not exposed to it. So far. Exactly. So when I used to work for a Japanese company, I read the Japanese <laughs> chapter. Super different from. Uh, 
how it works. So it's the opposite of Spain, right? Like, Literally the opposite. Yeah. So of course I had a lot of cultural shocks in the beginning, especially around feedback, right? Because a standard Spanish person or someone who has lived in Spain, I'll say, oh, Harry, mm, I don't know. Don't like shoes. Yeah. But I, yeah, I I do like your shoes, actually. They're super. Of course you like my shoes. Everybody. Yeah, they're super. You know cool. how many people told me not to wear these today? Oh, no, no, please. For, no Yes. So, like, Spanish person would be super direct in feedback, and that's fine, you know, but in Japan, you cannot do this. So, how do you give feedback for us? Understand what's the culture of this person, what they're used to, and then decide, okay, should I be super direct or should I be indirect? In general, as a good practice or a safe practice, I would always try to give, like, one positive feedback, one constructive, and one positive. So one good thing, one, yes, language always. And it's not a negative feedback, it's constructive, always constructive, right? Just don't complain for the sake of it. Saving, make sure we're not saying. I hate complaints. Well, I just don't read or listen to them. Oh, interesting. So if you have negative feedback, don't share it unless you can make it constructive. Yes. I mean, it's not about sharing the problem, it's about sharing the problem and proposing a solution. Nice. I was about to end the questions, but actually I get one from Matthew, and I believe this question actually will help a lot smaller uh, teams. Mm-hmm. His question is, any tips for smaller teams that is having to work on a very short schedule, like a game job, for example? Mm-hmm. Do you have any tips for that, like a team working for short period and like high-intensity environment? Wow, that's a, that's a good one. Again, it's all, it's all about putting boundaries, like from the beginning, defining, okay, what do we want to achieve? How big is the team? How many hours do we have, right? And then getting pizza or getting paella. Getting food is always good. It always helps. But yeah, it's about defining your boundaries. Because of course, you always want to do something crazy, right? When you're like in your younger years. <laughs> when you're young, right? You want to do a lot of things. But yeah, just boundaries. I think people have different energy expectations mm-hmm. as well. Like they might be at this at university. It's a very common it's human experience where someone's going to be carrying the team. So if you have different expectations of workload, definitely just very simple, but so crucial is like setting up like what the boundaries are. We're not going to be working more than six hours on this. And someone's like, I was expecting to do two hours. Wait, what? And you can actually address that before the issue. Where's We're good. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, everyone. Aida, you can, of course, follow her. She posts regular content and she's obviously of the gaming backstage which has a load of gaming uh, events with leaders she's very regular that actually does that free time off to work so superhero and also of course shout out to Ali Farha follow <laughs> post great content we're here in Barcelona this week the touring gaming studios and he posts great content for production focus people and also gaming professionals so very good variety content yes. and yeah thank you everyone for staying to the end Goodbye. Bye.